I mean absolutely no hyperbole when I say this has been the most jarring and perhaps most excruciating offseason in recent memory. With superstar players switching teams on a near-daily basis and the Seahawks saying goodbye to their longest-tenured icons, there is nearly unprecedented uncertainty surrounding the team's future. So we called on you to help us work through it with a mailbag episode, and y'all delivered. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my charming producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling amped, man. I'm happy to be back with you, uh, seeing seeing that sweet smile of yours and ready to talk <laughs> some Seahawks. How are you doing? I'm great, man. I'm really excited for this episode. I mean, this offseason, both for the Seahawks and the NFL at large, just continues to lurch from major breaking news to major breaking news with dozens of juicy rumors thrown in. That's left thousands of fans, including ourselves, scrambling to make sense of it all. So we thought the best way to do that was to incorporate y'all out there listening into the discussion with a special mailbag episode of Cigar Thoughts. So we put the call out to Twitter and you guys responded in a big way. Mike, we got some great questions, didn't we? We did. We did. And honestly, I'm mostly impressed with ourselves because we conned these idiots into prepping for us. <laughs> Suckers. Gotcha. Woo. All right. What's the first one on the docket? All right. So we've got quite a few. So we're just going to jump right in. Let's start with uh, Adam Nathan, whose handle is at Adam D. Nathan from across the pond. Adam asks, if you'd known in December that it meant Russell was going to be traded, that's Russell Wilson, of course, would you have still subscribed to team Run It Back for the 2022 Ooh. season? Adam, Adam, putting the nails to me right off the bat. First of all, I want to say that uh, Adam has uh, a podcast over in England, the Seahawks podcast, the the Seahawkers pod with Stuart Court, and it's really good. If you guys are looking for another um, podcast to supplement your Seahawks coverage. They're awesome. And and you get a really unique um, perspective from those guys because they're not quite as close to it. So you get a little bit more of that 20,000 foot view. Um, they've been gracious enough to have me on a couple of times and I always really, really enjoy that conversation. That being said, Adam's being a real fucker with this question. So <laughs> no is the short answer. Um, I would not. And and to be fair, I wasn't really team run it back until like the last week of the season um, when they finished with a second consecutive really great week. And I did want to see or was at least open to seeing them keep Pete, John and Russ together for one more go and, and kind of have 2022 be the deciding factor. But if I knew that that was going to be it for Russell Wilson in Seattle, then I would have liked to have seen a refresh. How about you? I think that the phrase run it back is very dependent on the idea that all parties would be present, right? Right. So I don't necessarily, this is basically asking like, would you have rather just fired Pete Carroll? And the answer is probably yeah. yes. Yeah. I think one of the major things to consider with this is, is the timing, right? Cause if, if you knew back before the season ended, if it was, up to me and I knew before the season ended that this would be, you know, 2021 would be Russell Wilson's last year with the team. Then I think it's important 
to make sure you know, I, I wouldn't want Pete Carroll in charge of the rebuild um, or reset or retool, however you want to um, phrase this. And I think that you would want to know who is going to be the coach before you make the trade. And, you know, I don't even know that I want John Schneider in charge of this, but you can't, in my opinion, you can't have the person making the trade not also be the person who is building from it, right? And so if you're going to keep John Schneider and Pete Carroll here in order to make the trade, you know, while the trade is made, then I think you got to keep them here for at least a year to let them start building towards the next thing. Yeah, and that's something that was kind of present in multiple questions that we got is how long is their leash at this point? To answer that question as well, I would assume they have a couple of years to find a quarterback, right? Like that's the benchmark. Yep. So in summation, I think that we're both of the mind that we would not have run it back with the organization as it stands now if we had known that Russell Wilson was going to be traded, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if we're, I, I, I don't think the roster is that far away once the quarterback is in place, but I, I wouldn't mind just a fresh perspective top down for the new quarterback and this next chapter of Seahawks football. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, we're going to get a fresh perspective from the most stale person I know, Mr. Nathan Bishop at Nathan (laughs) underscore H underscore B. That's two underscores. That's too many. Exactly. Uh, I'd love to know what you guys think, he asks. A realistic best case scenario for this next season is assuming a good-ish draft in an actual quarterback competition that produces approximately average play at the position and this was a an officially denoted earnest tweet that's a great question also i it's tough because you want to say yeah if they get average quarterback play we'd love to see a playoff push i mean rooting for good football is better than the alternative the challenge is i think no matter how you slice it Best case scenario is this team's competitive, competitive again in two years. I don't see it happening sooner than that. And what would concern me about the team being on the fringe of the playoffs this year is, you know, let's say with Drew Locke or Geno Smith or a Baker Mayfield, someone at quarterback that probably doesn't have the potential to elevate themselves into that top eight, top 10 discussion at the position is that it tricks you into extending that quarterback and saying, see, we're right there. We just need another good draft, another year for these guys in the system, and we'll be right there. I, if, if the quarterback play this year from the guys who are currently on the roster has them competitive enough to be kind of in purgatory, I'd, I'd be bummed by that. I would rather them lose more games and pick higher in a loaded draft next year. Now, if they draft Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter, I'm going to be rooting for that guy to succeed, and I would put it pretty much uh, directly proportionate, you know, wins to best case scenario, right? Like I, there wouldn't be anything about me rooting for the team not to be too good this year if they have a rookie quarterback, but if they don't, uh, I'd rather they just kind of, I'm going to be looking for development with the young guys and the new guys and really seeing it as like a tryout for 23, you know, 2023 and forward. It feels like this year, though, is kind of that fulcrum where we're balancing on are these guys like just guys or are they the core moving forward? Because, you know, like 
You've got, especially on defense, right? You got Daryl Taylor, Jordan Brooks, Puna Ford, and like Jamal Adams fits into that somehow, some way. And um, yeah, I, I think that like assuming that the defense is average to good and the quarterback room stays exactly the same, I would say like the ceiling is like eight wins mm-hmm. or maybe nine wins if things break really well. But that would be pretty depressing if if the quarterback room standed pat and they ended up with eight or nine wins, as you just said. Would you rather them win eight or nine games with Drew Locke and get the seventh seed in the AFC or NFC playoffs? Or would you rather them go four and 13 and have a higher have higher picks next year? I would prefer them to get the seven seed in the AFC because that means something's gone horribly <laughs> awry. So thank you for that. But I mean, <laughs> I think that it's kind of like it's it's kind of like win lose whichever way you go because it's like if they do settle into that purgatory of you know around five hundred ball, then that means okay the roster is able to support. You know, you are a quarterback mm-hmm. away from contention. Right. right. Whereas if they tank, then it's okay. Well, you improve draft position and you have more ammunition to get the guys that you need. But then that means that you're further away from contending. So yeah, it's uh, potato, potato. You know, I, I <laughs> the more the more I talk about it, the more I'm talking myself into kind of hoping for that middle ground. But my desire for an actual plan at the quarterback position supersedes all of that. Yeah, and the more that I think about it in the conversations with Davis and Griff recently on this show have, have helped crystallize this. I th- I think I'm leaning towards just punting on quarterback this year and taking advantage of three really high picks in this draft and attacking cornerback, edge rusher, and offensive tackle with those picks. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to approach 2022 – the way that I approached 2010, which was, okay, there is something new happening here. It's very unlikely that they're going to be competing in any meaningful way this year or maybe even next year. But are we seeing the guys who are going to be a part of this when it happens? And and in 2010, we absolutely were. And then 2011, 2012, which is when we saw Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson and Cam Chancellor and Doug Baldwin and Richard Sherman and these guys who just became the faces of a very, very good football team. Um, you know, we, we're watching that rooting for development. And I think that's what I'm going to be doing this year. The thing is, I'm not in favor of tanking. You know, this isn't like playing dynasty fantasy football where it's just like, oh, well, the you know, I'm not competing this year. So the worst I do, the better picks I'm going to get. These are real people. And attitude matters and being okay with losing you don't just turn that around i i think that i want to see this team be really competitive in every game i'm just not going to be as tied up in whether they win or lose as i have been for the last eight or nine years let's move on to the next one because i think that kind of ties into what we were talking about about you know you want to maybe punt on quarterback this year this is from uh suntown at suntown 196 would it be wiser to throw every resource at finding a quarterback, then figure it out later, or build a roster and then look for a quarterback to finish the deal? Ooh, I love this question. I love this question. I don't think there's one right answer on I'm this. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, 
I think that if you have a true bona fide superstar potential quarterback, that trumps everything. If you, if you have a path to getting that this year, then you do that. You don't pass up the opportunity to do that. I don't think there's one available anymore. Um, I, I think there will be next year. We're going to see a lot of shakeup. Um, it used to be that quarterbacks, really good quarterbacks, they didn't switch teams really. And in this era of player empowerment, that's not the case anymore. They, they wield a lot of power with their organizations and they're using it. And also we're just seeing quarterbacks come into the NFL more ready. I mean, the way these guys are trained from seventh grade on, you know, the, the Manning passing Academy, the Wilson passing Academy, these guys are being trained by NFL players and they go to these collegiate programs that are basically run like NFL teams. They're the face of those franchises from a very young age. I just think there's going to be more opportunities in, in 2023. So philosophically, I think you can do it either way. Well, I think Seattle's situation right now, it's better to build the house and then move the quarterback in than the other way around. Yeah, I, I don't think that you have to pick one or the other. I mean, you, you want to use a couple of Pete-isms here. It's like always compete, right? Like you you always want to look for new quarterbacks. You're Unless you have the guy, you're constantly looking for the guy. And, you know, we've seen time and time again, young quarterbacks for looking at, you know, the drafts. Um, get fucked over by bad situations, by bad totally. rosters, by dysfunction yes. on yes. dysfunction on dysfunction. And I think that it's malpractice to a degree if you're searching for a quarterback in the draft to have a completely inept uh, foundation to support that young player. You know, it's you're you're putting the onus of a franchise on a 21 year old you're you're getting a good point across because we don't have to look very far look i mean trevor lawrence and justin fields were two of the quarterback prospects i had the most faith in in a very long time you know i i think they have the same type of potential as players that a burrow a herbert even a Mahomes or a Watson have guys who have come in and had, you know, pretty immediate success. In and these the NFL. are these these are college prospects that are like bona fide winners. They have the production totally. against the competition. You they've know, they've got like the SEC, attitude. ACC. They've yeah, they're like exactly. the guys. You know, totally. I mean, these are pristine NFL prospects. <laughs> this isn't Mitchell they, Trubisky one year at North Carolina or whatever. You know, yeah, totally. And they sucked last year. And does that mean that Trevor Lawrence isn't actually a good quarterback? No, I don't I don't think so. I mean, he's pretty much a bulletproof prospect. But he went into the absolute bowels of dysfunction. He had a bad offensive line. He had a train wreck for a coach. He had no receivers. I mean, he wasn't throwing to anybody that was open all year long. Field, same thing. There was just absolutely no cohesion with the way the Bears have been running their franchise for the last few years. I mean, these so it's like, yeah, you can get the quarterback, but if you throw them on quicksand, they're still going to sink. So the more we talk through this, and this is one of the things that I'm really appreciating about this mailbag, is, is I'm finding some of my positions getting solidified as we talk through it. I think I'm actually pretty firmly now uh, on the side of, Get the team together if you can first. It's a symbiosis. Sure. 
if a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow comes along and you can get them, you're in position to get them, get them. But try and, you know, have a good situation for them to move into first. Let's uh let's move on to another question that kind of focuses on making quarterbacks lives easier and that's wide receivers and this is a question that we are not quite sure if it's serious from uh hustle chilson and the question is uh as follows it's 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 posed as this the impact (laughs) of nate carroll on the seahawks wide receivers has been incredible tyler lockett's career exploded and dk a raw block of pass catching granite has been sculpted into one of the NFL's best young receivers. How will his new role as senior offensive assistant impact the team? And I'm going to jump in here before you answer because I have a take. I have a goddamn take, Jackson. Let's go. And my take is that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf both entered the NFL as pretty much a 1,000-yard wide receivers, right? Yeah. I mean, Tyler Lockett had an incredible rookie year in 2015. DK, I'm pretty sure he did – uh, eclipse a thousand yards his rookie year in 2019. So with that being said, I think that Nate Carroll is as much a beneficiary of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett's supreme talent as he is nepotism. <laughs> yeah, uh, I gotta say I I love Hustle Chilson, but he is always just straddling the troll line and uh, i think i i appreciate this question because uh it can be taken in earnest and assuming that it was meant in earnest even though it wasn't uh i would say you know i i don't really give a shit about nate carroll being the receivers coach um i don't know that he would be that's our new podcast tagline we don't give a shit about nate carroll (laughs) I mean, maybe maybe he's a good coach. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I know that he's Pete Carroll's son. And, you know, I don't love that, you know, that we've got that aspect on our coaching staff. But I think that Pete Carroll's done a pretty good job of hiring coaches overall. And, you know, the receivers have always been good for the last 10 years, at least, at least the top receivers on the team. You know, uh, early on in the Carroll – era you had uh doug baldwin and jermaine curse and golden tate and they all had nice runs of success uh, mike williams was here at, at the beginning in sydney rice they played well um and then since then you've had lockett and metcalf so um yeah I, the, the track record's good with wide receivers but i do agree with you mike that tyler lockett and dk metcalf were built for nfl success and they had an elite quarterback throwing to them their entire careers thus far. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that Nate Carroll has improved their game somewhat. What, has he improved their game more than wide receiver coach X would have? I have I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, as we have often said, as of as of today, we don't give a shit about Nate Carroll. I mean, we've been we've been saying that for minutes, seconds even. on end, maybe even minutes. <laughs> Next question comes in from Matt Johnson at Matt Johnson underscore 75. He is asking for, once again, earnest thoughts on the looming decision of a DK Metcalf extension and what price would be your preference, Jackson. And before we jump into this, let's just put it out there that there was a a tweet that was put out today from Connor Hughes 
saying that there is no truth to the report that the Jets offered the number 10 pick to the Seahawks for DK Metcalf per multiple sources. And uh, there has been no offer because Seattle is not accepting any offers. Yeah. Whether that report of the Jets calling and offering the number 10 pick for DK is true or not, which, by the way, I do believe that it was true. Yeah, everyone's going to take their shot on a 24-year-old with 3,000 receiving yards to his name. You have to ask. I think it's encouraging that both the initial report that says they offered the 10th overall pick and the follow-up saying that they didn't, both of those sources are saying, either way, Seattle's just not listening. And I think that's encouraging. Now, there is a price uh, that I would trade DK Metcalf for. and. And it's only because at some point it's just the smart football decision. Emotionally, I don't want to trade him. I want to see him spend the entirety of his career or at least his prime as a Seahawk for a number of reasons. And and it's not just because he's good. There's lots of good wide receivers out there. And every year there's lots of good wide receivers that come into the NFL. But I think there's some certainty there. I think there's, uh, you know, we already know that he can perform at an elite level as an NFL wide receiver. That's hard to find. Uh, he's got an established floor. He still, his his efficiency was still tremendous when Geno Smith was the quarterback. He had four touchdowns in four games. I think he averaged like 80-something yards per game in those contests. And he also is, I still think we have untapped ceiling there. You know, there's no reason to think that what we've seen from DK Metcalf is the best we will see. So there's football reasons for keeping him around. Also, he's 24 years old. I mean, this guy could be good, like really good for another six or seven years. Um, I also think that from a marketability standpoint, you don't have anybody else like him. This guy, he is what is keeping the Seahawks cool. And I think there's a ton of value both to the team and to the franchise from a business standpoint in having DK Metcalf there. I got a question for you. Yeah. I got a question yeah, yeah. for you. If the Seahawks managed to, specifically Pete Carroll and John Schneider, if they managed to trade away Russell Wilson, cut Bobby Wagner, right. and then after all of that, all of that emotional tumult, managed to trade DK Metcalf, how quickly do you think somebody would get to the VMAC and arson the place? Oh man, it would be that would be a tough one to stomach. I I would have a really tough time with it. You know, I mean, I've been a Seahawks fan my whole life. I'm not going to sit here and say like I'd stop caring about the Seahawks, but I would probably take a step back emotionally from the team if they did all of that in one off season. Um, that said, you know, if there was a top five pick, that's being offered for him there's a fun rabbit hole you can go down and say like okay what if they took sauce gardner with that top five pick and then took Derek stingley at number nine and now you've got two elite corners on rookie contracts with Diggs and adams behind them there's ways where it makes sense you know and then you're saving the money um you know to answer matt's question i would love it if they could get him for $25 million a year. Um, you know, after you shake the dust off of the Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill uh, extensions and see what they're really getting, they're about 23 to $25 million a year. I think that's the starting point for DK Metcalf. Is he as good as those two? No, he is not. 
Is he better at 24 years old than either of those two were? Yes, he is. You are buying the future. You are not, when you give a contract extension, you are buying that player's future. You are not buying their past. And I think DK is absolutely worth 25 million plus. If they could get him for four years, 100 million with the majority of that guaranteed, I'd be thrilled. If it takes 30 to get him, I'm thinking about it more. But again, the cap is about to explode. And these guys, you know, by the time Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase sign their extensions, they're going to leave whatever DK signs in the dust. So, you know, he's not going to be the highest paid receiver for very long. And I'm okay with him being that in in the short term. I think also it's important that you have good receivers there for a quarterback to come into. Okay, so, oh, why would you pay DK Metcalf $25 million if Drew Locke's your quarterback or Geno Smith's your quarterback? It's because it's not about this year. First of all, it's not going to affect their cap this year. There's so When you extend a player, there's so much you can do with the money that's owed this year. And he's not even owed that much this season. They don't have a quarterback on the books. Yeah, exactly. So you that makes your money really fungible when you extend a guy. But when you do bring that quarterback in next year, let's say they they follow our plan of building around the you know all the other positions this year and then bring a quarterback in next year you got to have someone good for him to throw to and Tyler Lockett's going to be 31 or 32 at that point if you don't have DK there you're putting that quarterback into a position with either rookie receivers or some retreads from somewhere else so um I I think you keep him man I I, I think you just pay what it takes to keep him I am in total agreement yeah i mean give him give him 75 million cash flow over the first three years or 100 over four i i really couldn't care less i think that you have to prioritize re-signing your star power if there's one thing my biggest takeaway from last season just watching the teams that really won like the rams it was that their superstars were just so clearly better Yes. Than everybody else on the field. Like when it came down to it, it was just the Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup show. We're fucking better than you. It doesn't matter. Donald and Ramsey on one side, Cup and Stafford on the other. And it's like, okay, even if you are better than us at other positions, we're so much better than you at those positions that it won't matter. Yeah. So whenever the Seahawks are going to compete again, whether that's (laughs) this year or next year or the year after that or or 10 years from now, right? That's it comes back to the conversation that we just had about how you want to make life easier for your quarterback, you know, whenever you find it, because they're never going to stop looking until they find one or, or yep. they get canned. Um, but it's the same thing with the next the next organization. Right? Absolutely. You're always looking for a quarterback. So make their life as easy as possible. And what would make a new quarterback's life easier than DK Metcalf? Totally. And a, and a polished DK Metcalf at that point too, right? Like he's, he's not as raw anymore. And the thing is, even if you feel like this is a full teardown rebuild, which I strongly believe it is not, but even if that's what you believe and you say, well, why would you give all that money to a wide receiver when you're rebuilding? Because you need good players. You're not going to win without good players and you're not going to go 10 for 10 on your draft picks over the next two years. You have to have some security, something that you can count on, that you can plant your feet on and say, we've got this part figured out. And DK Metcalf is that. And and to go back to what you were saying about, you know, the talent that's coming out these days, like the wide receiver position. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah who who said basically, you know, like, 
what was it a couple years ago it was tabbed as like oh the best wide receiver draft in a decade then the year after that it was tabbed as oh the best wide receiver draft in a long time yeah that's every year now these like, guys are really good every single year the wide receiver pipeline is insane and with that being said I still don't think that that means you should trade DK Metcalf because we've seen so many times with the Seahawks or other teams, you need three wide receivers and you need three good ones to be competitive in the age of passing. And so you have Tyler Lockett, you know, who it's, it's weird thinking that he's like the seasoned veteran, you know, but he is, you know, he's what, like 28, 29, pushing 30. DK is a 24, 25 year old brute who has all pro potential and you have Dwayne Eskridge. But the thing is, supplement your strengths you hammer your strengths so hard to the point that you can overpower your opponent with that strength bash him over the head with it repeatedly absolutely absolutely if you want your boat to go faster you put wind in your main sail not your smaller ones so i i'm i'm with you man and it's like yeah these receivers that are coming out are really good but Nikhil harry was one of the most vaunted receivers of the last few years coming out uh you've got Andy Isabella and JJ Arcega Whiteside and Terrace Marshall. And these are highly drafted wide receivers that LaVisca Chenault, they just they haven't materialized yet. Maybe they will at some point, but their early returns aren't looking good. It's not like, oh yeah, we'll just draft whoever the next great looking wide receiver prospect that falls to us is, and we'll be fine without DK Metcalf. Like being a really good NFL wide receiver is hard. There's a reason there's just not that many who end up being able to do it. And the the thing about extending DK also is, you know, it not that they haven't shown an affinity for doing so in the past, but it shows, you know, if you're that young superstar player or that young ascendant player, we're willing to give you a bag. Yep. And so that brings us to our next question <laughs> from Jeff By. And Jeff asks do you believe there has been a shift in how the team has treated players both in general and more specifically long tenured? Whoa, man. It's a great question. I think yes. I, I think a lot of that is probably just a little bit of natural progression in that when Pete Carroll and John Schneider first came in, there weren't a lot of players in place that were going to be a long-term part of the program. And they really brought all of those guys in, you know, whether it be drafting the Legion of Boom or trading for Marshawn Lynch. Um, And so they were there for the full arcs of those players, Seahawks careers and relationships change. They can get stale Um, players, aren't always the same person before and after getting a big uh, contract. They also did. I mean, you're committing to these guys early when they're 20, 21 years old. I think about the difference in myself between being 20 and 25 and it's, and it's huge. And I was, I was still a friggin' shit idiot at 25, but I mean, lot, let's be honest. You're still a shit idiot. I, <laughs> I am still a shit idiot, but hopefully less so than I was at 20 and 25. And, and and these guys are evolving and maturing with tons of attention, tons of pressure, um, and tons of money. And so, you know, I, I'm really bummed by how the Bobby Wagner thing ended. I, I just don't see an interpretation of that, that has Pete Carroll or John Schneider looking good. That, that sucked. Um, 
the Russell Wilson, the way that ended sucks too. That feels a little bit more two-sided. And, and I think you can tell a story on that that has Pete and John looking okay. The Bobby one sucks. Um, you know, I was really hard on them for not giving a third contract to Earl Thomas. I was really, really hard on them in retrospect. That was absolutely the right decision. Um, and, and when the stories came out about her, how Earl Thomas had changed um, in the couple of years leading up to him leaving Seattle, it made sense. And that, that gave me a little bit more pause uh, in terms of being critical of them not extending my favorite players because we don't see what they see. But, man, it just – I don't know if it's because it's so fresh in my mind, but the way that Bobby went out stinks. And, you know, I, I, I with Richard Sherman, that's another one that was tough. I don't see a player wired like Richard Sherman ever having, like, a friendly farewell with the team. You know, I mean, he's he is he's built off of slights perceived or otherwise, and it's it's part of what made him great. And he was going to use his exit from Seattle, no matter how it happened, as motivation. Um, it's part of what makes him Richard Sherman, and I'm fine with that. The Bobby one just sucks, man. I I really wish that had gone differently. I agree. The way that I kind of interpreted the way that it happened was. You know, not to not to like vindicate um, Pete and John or whatever, but I, I figured that that was the same day that they traded Russell Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. That yep. must have been the craziest fucking day of their lives. Yes, yes. <laughs> of, of of their of their Seahawks tenures, and I my my guess is that they just kind of flubbed it, and I appreciated the fact that they opened their. Uh, their press conferences, you know, by, or whenever, whenever the, the topic was brought up, they owned it, which I appreciated, but it was a bummer. Obviously Bobby Wagner being a Los Angeles Rams sucks ass, but there was, uh, he, he put out that statement or it was in a quote from an interview. I can't remember which it was, but he used the line. Maybe they want to kind of burn that bridge, which yeah. was really just like a knife to the gut, you know, it was yeah. just like, oh, but like, what, what don't we know? Like what, it's kind of ambiguous how it went down. So it's kind of a bummer, but to kind of get back to the the question as a whole, there's the, how are they treating franchise icons on the way out? And then also are they disrespecting, you know, the mid-level free agents like DJ Reed is another kind of mm-hmm. lens through which I viewed this question. Sure. And I mean, I think it's kind of like, the, the golden Tate thing, right? Like business decisions. I think that the truly, the truly negative harrowing stuff has just been like those, you know, like, like I said, the franchise legends, you know, Michael Bennett, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, it's just all kind of ended sour. And I think that that's maybe inevitable unless you win a Super it might Bowl be, in the right. year that they're going to retire. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, these aren't clean breaks, you know. This these are are players and coaches who have grown together and they're they're intertwined and they have a lot to do with each other's success and relationships like that don't break easy. And these are alpha alpha dudes that feel strongly and you can't reach the level of success that they have without feeling strongly about things. Um, I do imagine it's a little jarring 
to hear how Pete Carroll talks about you when you play for him and how unrelentingly positive and supportive he is. And then to just have the ax dropped like that has got to be, it's just got to be jilting. Yeah. And, and as somebody, I know that you're also a a big fan of pettiness in sports. I really Mm -hmm. do appreciate the fact that, I mean, as, as painful as it'll be to see Bobby in a Rams Jersey and as how jarring it was to see Sherman, a Niners Jersey, I really appreciate the pettiness, you know, they they want to play and beat the shit out of their old team. Absolutely. And like, hell yeah, man. I'm, I want to say I'm so happy for Bobby. Yeah, to get get your money, to get a good contract on a good team, like a real chance to go win another Super Bowl, to get a chance to get after Seattle twice a year. Uh, I mean, what a huge get for the Rams. I mean, he's moving back to his hometown. There's there's a lot to love about it. Yeah, it sucks that it's the Rams, but removing that personal rivalry from it. It's a pretty freaking cool landing spot and and I hope he does awesome there. I don't I don't expect Seattle to compete with the Rams the next 2 years in any meaningful way. Like they might steal a win or two, but I don't think that they're going to be competing for conference titles and Super Bowl titles the way that the Rams will be for the next 2 years. I would love to see Bobby have that kind of success with them. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's kind of like the silver lining if they if they make it back. Um, with that being said, I hope he collects every individual statistical production <laughs> accolade humanly possible and never wins another game. Right. I would be on board with that as well. Let's move on to the next question um, from Lil Boz uh, 253. Teams, oh, excuse me, Lil Boz 253. Teams are going to load the hell out of the box next year without Russ behind center. What's your confidence level will actually be able to run the ball, especially with this current O-line? And Jackson, my question to you is, what current O-line? Yeah. Where is the line? Where are the linemen? They don't have any tackles. They don't have any tackles. Um, That's the first thing. Got to get that sorted. (laughs) Um, But let's, let's say for the sake of this conversation that they keep Dwayne Brown around for another year and draft a tackle at some point and he competes with stone Forsyth or Brandon shell or whatever. This is going to be the true test for Shane Waldron. Um, the Rams were able to develop maybe the best run game in the NFL with Jared Goff at quarterback. And Shane Waldron is coming from a philosophy that allowed that to happen. And Andy Jared, Dickerson, the new O-line coach, right? And Andy Dickerson, right? Which can't be overlooked. I, I am more optimistic than I am confident, but it's not like Seattle's passing game was killing it when Rashad Penny was going nuts. Russell Wilson was still working through his stuff. And yeah, he, you know, Wilson played well those last two games, but Rashad Penny had four games before that where he was killing it without really that threat of the past being there. Uh, much the way that I don't think it'll really be there this year. So I I think a healthy penny can be still really productive uh, in this offense. And I'm curious to see how Shane Waldron can scheme up whoever their quarterback is because Russell Wilson has been a short, short, long type of thrower. And it's unlikely that 
whoever is quarterback for them this year is going to be the same way. And I think we're going to see a lot more intermediate passing. And I'm hoping that that opens up things for the run game, uh, stuff that develops quicker than Seattle's offensive plays have for the last 10 years. I, I would say my confidence level is a five, but my optimism level is like a 6.8. I, I think I'm right there with you. I mean, it was... <laughs> It really was a bonkers way to close out the year because, <laughs> so I mean, we weird. haven't – Chris Carson is an incredible back, and Marshawn was obviously an incredible back, like Hall of Fame caliber player. This was just, like, different, right? It's a different type of player. It's home run hitting ability. And so you look back at those games and, you know, the, the NFL, if there's one thing that it's going to do as a collective, it's going to adapt and it's going to try to neuter – your biggest strength. And so, you know, as we've uh, discussed uh, ad nauseum, the Seahawks don't have an upper echelon quarterback at the moment by any means. So you know that uh, they know that Pete Carroll is going to try to run the hell out of the ball and they're going to try to uh, limit its effectiveness to almost nothing. Yeah. You know, I, I think one thing too, if they do want to load the box, if they want to drop a safety into the box and, play eight guys close to the line of scrimmage that might actually be helpful for the quarterback yeah exactly that's what i'm saying they like kind of actually established the run like a full exactly. year prior yeah right right because now you're not bracketing dk metcalf and that was one thing teams were doing a lot last year if they weren't stone cold double teaming him they were shading a safety or or slipping a linebacker out underneath him that's going to be hard to do if if you're gearing up for the run because you don't respect the pass. So, you know, we, we tend to look at seasons as this monolithic thing. They were good at this, this season and bad at this, this season. When in reality on a micro level, on a game by game level, it changes. Teams go through stretches of being really good at one aspect. And then now that that's on tape, defenses adjust. And so they have to, you know, the offense then has to adjust what makes them successful? And, and there's a give and take throughout a season. Um, they're going to be less dynamic on offense, that's for sure. So maybe the give and take isn't quite as drastic as what we've seen the last two seasons where we've had stretches of an unstoppable nuclear offense and then stretches of they can't even get a first down. Um, I do think that we'll see the, uh, the, the scale won't tip as much from one direction to the other. I do think the offense will be worse this year, but there's there's a benefit if teams want to load the box against them. Yeah, totally. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, one of our last couple questions here from Seattle Teachers Burner at C underscore Teacher. Gut instinct on whether or not the Hawks pick at ninth overall, and who would you be happy about at nine? And do you hope we trade back and load up for next year? I know that you're all aboard drafting both uh, Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner in tandem. So we've got your answer already in the books. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. By the way, uh, Seattle Teachers Burner is Loki, one of my favorite new accounts that I followed. Uh, go give him a follow. It's uh, <laughs> He's great. And this is a good question. Um, I, I'm inclined to just pick at nine. There's going to be really good players there, whether it's Gardner or Stingley or Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, there's there's a number of really good players, blue chip type players that are there. I don't want to overthink it and be like, oh, well, we'll trade 
down from nine to 18 and we'll get an extra third round pick. And then the player at 18 just is a little bit more of a tweener. Like at nine, you're getting a guaranteed unanimous or close to unanimous first round grade prospect. Seattle hasn't had the opportunity to draft someone like that in forever. So I, I don't want them to overthink it. If Now, if they can pick up a day two pick to move from nine to 12 or something, and they know that there's still guys there that they like, sure, let's let's do it. But uh, I, w- I would love to see them stick at nine and leave with either Thibodeau or one of those two corners. That's exactly what I was going to say. Basically, like if they're going to trade down, I hope it's not too far. I don't want to I don't want them to plunge over that talent cliff, you know, right. And And it happens sooner in the first round than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we were we were having the conversation of, oh, is this going to be another 2013 draft? And that's well, who knows? But like seems that that's maybe not the case but you know we tend to romanticize these these prospects in the moments leading up to the draft you know the the value of a draft pick is immense until they actually select the player right um yeah i'm i i'm in in total agreement i would much rather them you know go get what they believe to be a blue chip corner or pass rusher than you know trade down to 17 and get like the third guy on their board at that position rather than, you know, the stud that they're convinced is going to be great. But I mean, the the thing I appreciate about the Seahawks, <laughs> you know, their, their draft resume has been a bit spotty over the last several years. And that might be generous is that when they're convinced that it's their guy, they stick and take that guy. You know, they traded up for Daryl Taylor. Didn't they trade up for Tyler Lockett? And, you know, we're running back all the hits here, but, my hope is that if they like somebody enough to stand pat or if they like a few guys enough to go down a few spots, then that's awesome. What I don't want to see from them, it's good process, obviously, but if the Saints are trying to trade up further, you know, they gave yeah. up a bunch of capital to, you know, swap firsts this year and next year with the Eagles. I think they gave up a second and a third also um, because. I don't know if they're trying to trade up for another quarterback or get a couple of guys because they're they are convinced that they're close to contention. But I don't want Seattle like dropping down to like 18, you know, or something like that. Totally. Totally. Okay, so let's flip the question on its head. Is there a player that you would be willing to see them package picks to move up and get like put 40 and 41 together to get back into the back half of the first round or nine plus 41 or plus 72 to move up a little bit in the first round. Yeah. I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, I say that now, I, I you know, who's, I'm going to play, play both you... sides so that no matter what happens, if the player pans out or doesn't, that I can come out, then you'll be wrong. Right. Myself. Exactly. I, I think that it would make the most sense if it's for a quarterback, if you're going back in for Desmond Ritter, but, you know, we see it year after year. There are quarterbacks that are hyped up to the nth degree and they end up being virtual nobodies. I just, I would hope that this is of the same level of infatuation as we have been led to believe that there was for Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Like, if you're going to really send it and package picks and move back up into the first round for a quarterback. I hope that it's not just for the sake of getting a quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I I think I have come around on Ritter enough that I 
would be excited if Seattle drafted him. But I'd be excited if they drafted him at 40. I don't know that I would be super stoked to give up, you know, 40 and 41 to move up to 19 and take him or or whatever. Look, man, um, they've done it before. Why the fuck don't they just draft a Hall of Fame quarterback in the third round? I don't understand it. Why don't that, they just do that? That would every be the year? best. Yeah, I'd, I'd be on board with that. Let's just draft a Hall of Fame quarterback in the third. That's 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 a good idea, Mike. I you're welcome. You're, you know, I this has been Mike's draft tips. <laughs> Malik Willis is the most exciting quarterback in the draft because there's a story you can tell about him that sees him being this ultra dynamic dual threat quarterback. He's uh, the clay that, that NFL coaches love yes. to mold. Yes, he he is. It's within his range of outcomes that he kicks ass. Um, I don't see him lasting till nine. He's the one guy where if he was there at nine, I might be like, oh, man, maybe maybe we take our, our shot at that guy just because there is a decent chance that he ends up being awesome in a way that I don't think the other quarterbacks have in their range of outcomes. Um, but I don't see how he gets past both the Lions and the Panthers. David Tepper is just chomping at the bit right now. Like, yeah. It doesn't matter. He, he doesn't give a shit who the quarterback is. He's just like, I need somebody. I am so sick of Sam Darnold. I hate his face. I don't want to look at him anymore. Well, they've they've just flubbed that situation so poorly. You know, they've they've had some really good players there. And I think that they could have been contenders these last two years with good quarterback play. But, man, yeah, now, now it's almost like they're desperate. And, and I, I just don't see Willis still being there at nine and he's not a guy I would trade up for. Yeah. I'm in total agreement. So one last question, Jackson. All right. This is very nuanced, very thorough, Mm. very dense. It's my favorite part. It's from Jacob at J cup Hinson. The question is Jackson Bevins. Are we fucked? <laughs> are yeah. the Seahawks fucked? Are we collectively fucked? That's the most honest question. Uh, we collectively are fucked. Like zoom all the way out. We as a <laughs> species are fucked. But zooming back in to the Seahawks, yes, the Seahawks are fucked. <laughs> this is what happens when you take this approach. Like can they unfuck themselves? Certainly. There's a myriad of paths that they can get themselves right back into position. There's being fucked is not without its potential benefits, but the road to being unfucked is difficult and you need a lot of things to go your way. But currently, they don't have a quarterback of the future. One of their running backs is, has a broken neck. Uh, their two receivers are both at the subject of tons of trade rumors. They don't have any offensive tackles. They don't really have any defensive linemen with any real, like, big-time upside. They just lost probably the greatest defensive player in franchise history. And... I don't even know if we have our cornerbacks. So yeah, they're, they're fucked, but they have a lot of opportunities to make it right. Yeah. They're, they're fucked in the short term and that's okay. I have made my peace with it, you know, in, in the aftermath of the Russell Wilson trade. Um, but 
I one thing that gives me some hope is I don't think there's any part of Pete Carroll that has the patience or intention of doing a slow retooling here. I think he wants it to happen quick. And you know what? Whatever whatever happens, let's make it happen quick and let's know whether or not it's working out. Very much so. And something that I'm honestly looking forward to be different. I mean, obviously I would prefer if Russell Wilson was a Seattle Seahawk. I think that, sure. that is Same. the ideal scenario. But the way that we watched games became very different over the last several years because most of the games are games that they're supposed to win. They're mm-hmm. games that they should win. So instead of, I mean, like football is um, a nervous sport to watch no matter the case, but rather than just feeling relief, oh my God, they didn't fuck it up at the end. Every single win this season, for well, uh, unless they get none, which would be honestly hilarious, uh, is going to be fought for tooth and nail. It's going to yes. be like that same brand of underdog seven and nine making the playoffs, Pete Carroll Seahawks, you know? Oh my gosh. The the saving grace of Pete Carroll is that he gets his guys up for the games. So many other NFL teams would have just packed it in for those last couple of games that they had last year. And they didn't. They came out and played really, really good football like four quarters of dominant football in back-to-back weeks. And and the guys were up for it. And Pete Carroll is going to have these guys competing. I think it's a great point. And we're going to see – we're going to be watching the same team but through a totally different lens, right? The, the expectations we have for a team are the lens through which we watch them. And it has been hard to see them what we perceive to be underachieving the last number of years – even though they've been averaging 10 wins a season over that stretch, because we've seen what it looks like to be so much better than that. And it, a lot of those same guys were there. So now we get to let go of all of that. And I think every win is just going to be uh, a blessing. Um, but mostly I'm, I'm just going to be watching for development. Totally. And we kind of got an appetizer of, of, you know, that vantage point when, Russ went down when Geno Smith was playing. And, you know, the the Steelers game that came down to the last possession, the turnover. The Rams game, too, you know, like the Saints game was close to the end. Like, those are those are the types of games that the Seahawks are going to be playing all season yep. long unless they yeah. get their asses walloped, which which is not outside it, it, the realm of possibility, pro- and that's okay, too. Right. But, you right. know, it's, it's going to be a different uh, genre of rewarding to watch them if it ends up being rewarding. So yeah. I'm, I'm just excited for totally. something different, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Well, these these were great questions, man. I feel like I feel like my view of this team has evolved over the last hour. Yeah, they're fucked. <laughs> they're fucked, man. They're fucked. But hopefully, on the path to unfucking. So we really appreciate all you guys sending in these questions. Uh, this is definitely something we'll be doing more of in the future. Uh, really did give us an opportunity to explore some of these issues in a way that I appreciate a great deal. And for those of you listening, please make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And feel free to follow us on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at, at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at, at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. 
course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. Y'all have been incredible with this support. We are eternally grateful for it. We will be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards.